are on the rise. We hope and pray that more and more will feel comfortable coming. But we are very grateful for the opportunity to be together. And I appreciate Brother Billy leading our song tonight, Standing on the Promises of God. Because tonight we're going to be talking about one of the great promises of God. And that is eternal life. And so I want to direct your attention tonight to 1 John 2, verse 25, as we think about our study tonight. Before I begin, let me just say very quickly, Brother Dio mentioned it this morning, and I want to just say how much we appreciate Paul and Patty and their willingness to purchase the podium that is before you. I know they didn't want anybody to say anything, but nonetheless, it does, at least I think it looks great. And uh, it's a great upgrade. It has a very sleek and modern look, and so we appreciate that. And if you don't know them, they are perfectionist. And uh, the podium came in on Friday, and I don't know how long they stayed trying to make sure everything was just right. But we appreciate them and very thankful for their generosity and thank, thank all of you for being here again tonight. In 1 John 2, verse 25, the passage that Ben read a moment ago, John writes, this is the promise that He has promised us eternal life. This morning we talked about our bucket list and the fact that all of us have things that we want to accomplish, things that we want to do before life ends. As we grow older in life, there are certain things that become much more precious to us than maybe in earlier days one of which is eternal life. Because as we grow older in life, we have to come to terms and in one sense of the word, make peace with our mortality. The fact that we're not going to be here forever. And yet to know that there is a great promise extended to every person who belongs to the family of God. And that is eternal life. So I want to begin tonight by talking about the promise of eternal life. And as you think about the promise of eternal life, I want to begin, first of all, by suggesting that we can have confidence in the Savior. Now John said, this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. You remember Jesus in John chapter 10 said on one occasion, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus is the source of all life, isn't He? He is the source of all physical life. He is the source of all spiritual life. And so you think about what He said in John chapter 3, verse 16, the golden text of the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In that same chapter, in verse 36, again Jesus, or rather John, emphasized the importance of belief in and obedience to the Son of God. John said, He that believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who obeys not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In John chapter 6, we have Jesus identifying Himself as the bread of life, that living bread that came down from heaven. In verse 27, Jesus said, Labor not for the meat or the food that perishes, but rather that which endures 
to everlasting life. In verse 40, Jesus again would say, the will of the Father who sent Him. He said, here's what that will is, that those who see the Son and believe in Him might have everlasting life. And He said, I'll raise Him up at the last day. He would go on to say that those who eat His flesh and drink His blood have eternal life. And again, I will raise Him up at the last day. Now let me ask you this question. Do you believe in the words of Jesus? Do you believe what Jesus has said in Scripture is true? You know, there are people that we associate with in the world. There might be people that you deal with, maybe they're colleagues, maybe they're friends, maybe even family members. And maybe you've had a close relationship with them. And it might be the case that they have made promises to you in one way or another, but they haven't followed through. So there is a reliability problem. There's a trust factor that is eroded. But when you look at what Jesus has said, everything Jesus has said, it's either true or false. There can't be any middle ground. Jesus is believable, isn't He? Jesus is or was God in the flesh. And the Bible tells us it is impossible for God to lie. Now didn't Paul say in Titus chapter 1 verse 2 that we live in hope of life eternal, listen to him, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. When I think about what Jesus has said, the thing that stands out in my mind is He is believable. There are some folks, quite frankly, we can't believe in. You just don't know whether or not they're telling the truth. You don't know whether or not they're going to be reliable. But that's not the case with Jesus. Let me ask this question. There are a lot of promises set forth in Scripture, aren't there? If the Lord failed in one promise, then who's to say He wouldn't fail in another promise? For example, didn't Jesus promise to build the church in Matthew 16 18? The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, He followed through with that promise, didn't He? The kingdom was established on Pentecost Day. If the kingdom did not come, as Jesus foretold of, if it didn't come with power, then we have a problem. The Lord Jesus has a reliability problem, doesn't He? What about forgiveness of sin? How do you really know you're forgiven? I mean, can you believe what the Bible has to say? Can you believe what Jesus said? Didn't Jesus say, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved? Can you believe that? Can you bank on it? Do you really know, do you really know deep down that you have been forgiven of all sin? Didn't the Hebrew writer say, speaking of the covenant under which we now live, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness? Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more? Don't we have to put our faith and trust in the promises of the Lord? In John 14, Jesus said to the disciples, after having told them that He was going away, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Listen to him. Believe also in me. 
Jesus is believable, isn't he? He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is believable. And one of the reasons is because He is God. The presence of God. The Bible tells us, speaking on behalf of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you believe that? Do you trust what God had to say? You remember back in Joshua chapter 1 when God instructed Joshua to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, that land flowing with milk and honey? Didn't God say to him, as I was with Moses, so also I will be with you? Putting our faith and trust in the Lord. Why? Because he is believable. And then there's a second thought. First, we have to have confidence in the Savior. But then there is confidence. We ought to have confidence in the Scripture. The Bible says, the Word of God cannot be broken. Every promise set forth in Scripture, God backs it up, doesn't He? That's an amazing thought, isn't it? There are individuals in the world today, maybe they have good intentions in following through with what they have said. Maybe in their heart of hearts, they intended to stand behind their word, but something happened and guess what? Their word didn't come to pass. Whatever you read in Scripture, every single promise that God has made in Scripture, He will fulfill it. He'll stand behind it, won't He? The money that you have in the bank, is that, is that money not backed up by the FDIC? I mean, you think about the money that you deposit into your account on a weekly basis. That money is guaranteed, isn't it? So you think about putting your faith in God. And the question is, can you trust Him? Can you trust that what He has said and what is recorded in Scripture that it will indeed come to pass. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John said, These things I have written unto you, that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John is saying, look, I have written. The very things that I have written have been written with the purpose of letting you know that you have eternal life. That's what we call security, isn't it? So we can believe the Scriptures. Go back and look at all the great prophecies that were spoken of by those great people of God in days gone by with regard to the coming of the Messiah. Do you remember in John chapter 5, Jesus said to the Jews of His day, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. He said, these are they which testify of me. The very Word of God authenticated the claims of Jesus as the Messiah. And you remember in John 6, when that great multitude of people walked away from the Lord because they couldn't fathom Him being the bread of life that came down from heaven, Jesus, in a very pointed way, asked the disciples, will you also go away? And what, did, what was it Peter said? 
Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. There's the idea again. This promise of life eternal. When you come to the end of your life here on planet Earth, now I understand that not everybody, not everybody has what we would say a heads up when it comes to stepping out into eternity. Some folks die by accident. Some have a heart attack, a stroke, and they're gone just like that. Some, however, have a terminal illness. It is a protracted illness. And they understand that over time their body's wearing out, running down, and ultimately the disease will win the day. But as we make our way to the cemetery, where's our faith, where's our trust? Isn't it in the promises of God? Isn't it in the promise of eternal life? Now there's a second thing I want to call attention to. First, we think about the promise of eternal life, but secondly, the place of eternal life. I don't have any new information to share with you when it comes to the place of eternal life. I'm not here to reinvent the wheel, but rather I am here to simply tell you and to reinforce and to reemphasize what the Bible says. And the Bible tells us that the place of eternal life is located in Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Paul said, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation, listen to him, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Salvation is located in one place. That's in Christ Jesus, the Son of God. And didn't Jesus say in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Access to God the Father, reconciliation to God the Father, is only through Jesus, isn't it? So salvation is in Christ. And the only way to get into Christ is to put our faith and trust in Him. As Jesus said, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. Now, there are a lot of folks in the world today, they'll tell you, we don't need to really get hung up on who Jesus was. I mean, we can acknowledge that He was a good man, that He was compassionate and kind and merciful and loving, that He was all about social justice. But the idea of Him being the Son of God, well, that verdict's still out there. It mattered to Jesus, didn't it? So much so that in Matthew chapter 16, when he was in the northern area of Palestine, he asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Peter affirmed him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we've got to put our faith and trust in Jesus. That faith and trust in Jesus is followed by a penitent heart. That is, a willingness to turn from the world and the ways of the world unto God. It's called repentance. Pentecost Day, when Peter and the other apostles set forth the terms of admission into the kingdom of God, Peter said in verse 38, repent. And then those who believe in Jesus and are willing to repent of sins, no doubt would have no problem whatsoever confessing Jesus as the Son of God, just like the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. And then to be buried with Him in baptism so that we might contact the blood of Christ because the blood of Christ ultimately is what washes away all of our sins. And we talk about having confidence in the Lord. 
confidence in the promises of God. When Peter told those people on Pentecost Day to repent and be baptized so that they might enjoy forgiveness or the remission of sins, that promise was true then, it is true today. And then, once we comply with the terms of pardon, the Bible tells us God then puts us in the church. So salvation is located in Christ. Do you remember 1 John chapter 5, verse 11? John said, this is a record that, is, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is where? It's located in Christ, in His Son. He would say, he that has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Now, there's no middle ground there. Either we're in or we're out. We're either for Him or we're against Him. So salvation is in Christ, and then secondly, it's in the church of Christ. Now there are a lot of people in the world today, they miss the importance of the church. The church existed in the mind of God before He ever framed the world. The church was not an afterthought on God's part. But rather, Christ and the church go hand in hand with regard to redemption. Salvation is in Christ, and all who are in Christ are in the church of Christ. How do I know that? Because in Acts chapter 2, you remember in verse 41, those who gladly received His word were what? They were baptized. Verse 47, the Bible says, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. If we had the opportunity to go back to the first century, let's just say we could pull somebody to the side that had just obeyed the gospel, and we asked them, by the way, what church do you belong to? What church would they have said? They'll say, well, I'm a member of the church. What church? Well, the church. The church of God, the church of Christ. There was just one church. God's plan has always been for there to be one church. Not two, not three, not a thousand, only one church. So here's the question. Where then are the saved? They're in the one church, aren't they? Didn't Paul say in Ephesians chapter 4, there is one body and one spirit? Even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. So when we're baptized into Christ, we enjoy the benefits and the blessings of His blood, and God puts us in this spiritual ark of safety. It's called the church. So in Ephesians 5.23, Paul would say, speaking of Christ, that He is the Savior of the body. Well, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. So everyone who is in Christ is in the church of Christ. If a person's not in Christ, they're not in the church of Christ. If a person is not in the church of Christ, then they're not among the saved. Well, how do I know that? Because that's what the Bible teaches. Now, when I talk about the church of Christ, please do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying that the church of Christ is the best among the denominations. 
The church of Christ is pre-denominational. It is non-denominational. So when I talk about the church of Christ, what I'm saying is it is the church that belongs to Christ. When the Bible talks about the church of God, well, it's the church that belongs to God. And we are members of His body, are we not? And since we belong to the body of Christ, that means what God is saying is, you are mine. We are members, we are a, we are a part of the firstborn, the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. The song we sang a moment ago. When you obeyed the gospel, God added your name to the book of life. Didn't Jesus say, rejoice because your names are written in heaven? In Revelation chapter 20, when John talked about that final day and he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, do you remember he said the dead were standing before the Lord, small and great. And he said the books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. So, the promise of eternal life, the place of eternal life, and then thirdly, the prerequisite to eternal life. You mean to tell me that there are conditions set forth in Scripture regarding eternal life? Well, certainly. Now, John said this is the promise that he's promised us, eternal life. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, again John said, These things I've written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. And then he said, and that you might continue. Progressive action. Continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So let me ask this question. Are there potential dangers to our faith? Well, the answer would be yes. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, just back up with me and look at something. Go back to verse 15 in 1 John 2. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, here's what John said. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, he says, not any. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And then he said, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Is the world not constantly tugging at your shirt? I mean, don't you feel the tug of the world on a daily basis? I feel it. I mean, isn't there just this ongoing Subtle pull from the world that we all feel? Sure. Well, why is that? Because Peter said, our adversary of the devil walks about as a roaring lion. Not just a lion, but a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. The problem with the world sometimes is that it distorts our values and our perception of reality, doesn't it? You know, there are a lot of people in there are a lot of people who are alive today. They're banking on the fact they're going to be here tomorrow, next month, next year, 10 years, 20 years, however long. They put all of their eggs in one basket that's in the world. And everything they're looking for in this life 
It's all found in the world. No thought about eternity. No thought about stepping outside this veil of existence. You remember Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? He said, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Let me tell you, it is really tough in this day and time. It is so hard to look beyond the temporal, the transitory. I mean, the world is constantly tugging at us. Don't you think that's why Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5, neither give place to the devil? And then you think about all the doctrines and philosophies that are being floated out in the world today. You know, one of the real problems in the first century, there were some who were denying the bodily presence of Jesus. They denied that He came and lived in a human body. And John wrote about that. As a matter of fact, he identified them as Antichrist in verse 18. Listen to him. It's the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming even now. Many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. Then look at verse 19. We talk about our faith and the danger that the world poses to our faith. Here it is. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. You know what happened? They left the faith. There are some dangers, some landmines. And so you got to understand there are landmines in this world. The devil's doing everything he can to bait and to hook you and me. That's what he's all about. But what about the demand? I mean, are there demands to our faith? You remember one of our Bible verses a couple of weeks ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Paul said, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not vain in the Lord. You mean to tell me that if I live for God on a daily basis, that I can enjoy the promise of eternal life, to live a steadfast, immovable life, in a world that is changing before us on a daily basis. To put our faith in the eternal. To have security. A lot of people in our world want security today. There are a lot of people in our world today that are carrying handguns because they're concerned about their security. If you're in Christ, you have a blanket of security unlike any other security system. It's only in Christ. Here's what, here's what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2. He said, if you're faithful unto death, He said, I will give you the crown of life. One day we're all going to be there, aren't we? We're all going to be in the presence of God. You know, Paul said, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess to God. One day we're going to stand before God. When I think about the promises of God, I can't help but think about a close friend of mine. About three years ago, he called me one day, and he told me he had cancer. And unfortunately, 
it had spread. He had it in his kidney. He had it in his pelvis. It had migrated to his lungs. And so I had the opportunity to drive over to where he was living at the time in North Alabama. And we sat in his den. And by that time, he could not stand on his own. He's a big guy. We sat and we talked for a long time. He asked me if I would do his funeral. And we talked about a number of things. You know, death or the thought of death brings a lot of clarity to life, doesn't it? And he'd had a lot of time to think about where he was headed out into eternity. And he said, you know, I have come to the conclusion it is all about confidence in the blood of Christ. What he was saying is it's all about believing that the blood of Christ will do exactly what God said it will do. That we can stand before Him one day forgiven, redeemed, and saved. Look, when it's all said and done, the only way I'm going to be saved is by the grace and mercy of God. We live in compliance with His will, but we trust in the promises of His blood, don't we? We're in Christ. We're in His church. We're doing our best to live for Him day in and day out. We're not perfect, but we trust His blood will do exactly what He said it will do. My friend died two months later, and I had the opportunity to conduct his funeral. A lot tougher than I thought it'd be. Silver lining, however, was he died in Christ. Eternal life. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to come to Christ. Do what we said just a minute ago. Believe in Jesus. Be baptized into Christ. Let God put you in the church. Be faithful. If you're here tonight and your life's not what it ought to be, and you need to be restored, look, the same God who promised to forgive you when you obeyed the gospel, He will forgive you now. Tonight we encourage you to come as we stand and sing.